don't know if you can tell what I'm holding here. Does anybody have any idea what this thing is? <clears throat> if I do this, does it help? Can you tell what it is now? What do you think it is? You can talk. It's not a flashlight, so there. <laughs> it's, a, it's a microscope. It's a very small microscope. Um, sometimes my eyes don't work so well, and so I have a tiny little microscope. It doesn't do much. It goes to about 100 times magnification, but even at just 100 times, you can see amazing detail in things when you, uh, when you use this microscope. Every now and then, you'll see on the internet, someone will post pictures of, um, that were taken with an electron microscope. You know, electron microscopes, the, the detail is absolutely stunning, and it reveals things that, that you've never seen before. I've got some pictures here from electron microscopes. Now, you look at that picture. Do you have any idea what that stuff is? It, there's some white stuff. There's some dark stuff. Any idea? Someone talk real loud. I can't hear you. Marshmallows! No. That? Yeah, it's Cocoa Puffs with marshmallows. I don't think you'd want to eat that for breakfast for, as a cereal. That, that's salt and pepper under an electron microscope, right? Salt and pepper. You see it now? Here's an interesting one that I might have to explain to some of you younger people. So we get this picture. That looks kind of like those canyons on Mars that the rovers send pictures back of. But it's not. It's something that some of you older people probably still have in your homes. Any ideas? Hmm? Those are grooves on a vinyl record. Now, for you younger people, records are like CDs. And since CDs were invented about 30 years ago, CDs are like MP3s. You probably don't have many of those either. That's the grooves on a, on a vinyl record uh, magnified 1,000 times. Here's another one. Any thoughts on this? <clears throat> There's a couple of you that might recognize this. David Seifler might recognize what this is. Any idea, David? Andy Flukey might recognize it. That is a guitar string. Uh, that's a guitar string magnified only 60 times. So that's 60 times bigger than what a, what a guitar string. Okay, here's an easy one. And in keeping with the season, you'll like this one. What's that? It's a snowflake. And they really look like that, you know? It's amazing when you look at all the different kinds of snowflakes there are. They do amazing things as they get warmer or they get colder. They, they go through some amazing transformations. That is, a, that is a snowflake. And here's one for you. What's that? It's a snowman. This isn't actually made out of snow. This snowman is made out of the beads that they use to polish the lens on an electron microscope. That snowman is one-fifth the width of a human hair. So it is a very, very tiny snowman. Um, what do we do when we magnify something? When we look at it under a magnifying lens. We make it bigger, right? We enlarge it. And when we do that, we draw into intense focus and we see detail that we've never seen before. We may even see beauty that we've never seen before. Like this picture right here. I love this picture. I think I'd make a great background for my computer desktop. Isn't that pretty? Do you know what that is? No? 
That's dust. That's typical household dust. And uh, you, know, you just wipe all that away, but then, isn't that beautiful with the blues and the reds and, and all the different colors? That's just plain old dust. I got it from your homes. I uh, came by and snuck in and, and took pictures of your dust. When we magnify something, we see things that were never there before. Don't you feel bad for wiping all that beauty away now? Just save it. It's gorgeous. Um, we see things that we never knew were there before, even in ourselves. So we're looking at Luke chapter 1 today, verses 39 through 56. <clears throat> Your Bible probably titles this section Mary's Song, or some of your Bibles might title it The Magnificat, which is not a really awesome cat. Okay, you think it would be, but it's not. Magnificat is a, is a Latin word, and it is the first word in Mary's song. Mary's song, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul enlarges the Lord. My soul, my very being, who I am in my very essence, who God has created me to be, what I am, what I'm like, my personality, my very being magnifies the Lord. My very being draws, draws God into such sharp focus that through me, you can see who He's like. You can see what He is like. We're going to begin in verse 39. If you're using the Bibles in the pews, it's page 856. I'd encourage you to follow along. We pick up the story in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth's the only one that talks in this story. Why? Because Zechariah has been struck mute. He's not allowed to talk until after his son was born. Ladies, try that with your husband sometime. It's pretty awesome. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment to what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. And He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. We get more information about Mary from Luke's Gospel than from any other source in the New Testament. There's more information about Mary from what we read in Luke 
than any other source in the New Testament. If you go back to verse 3 of chapter 1, Luke tells us there that he endeavored, in writing his Gospel, he sat down to write an orderly account. So if Luke says he's writing an orderly account, does that mean there were disorderly accounts? (laughs) You bet. (laughs) There were very disorderly accounts. If you were in my Sunday school class today, I read from some very disorderly accounts of the life of Christ in my Sunday school class today. Uh, And it's very possible that Luke interviewed Mary for this information. We learn a lot about her from this Gospel. Luke never says she is the mother of God. In fact, that's a phrase that's never used in the Bible at all. Mary is never called the mother of God. However, we do read that she is blessed among women. That she was the most blessed woman who lived in her time, whoever lived according to Scripture. No woman on earth was more blessed than her. That speaks of God's grace for her, that she was highly favored, but it also speaks to her character. It speaks to who Mary was. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My purpose in life is for my entire being to point to the greatness of God. To bring who He is into into such sharp focus that those around me can know Him. Every now and then I encounter people who don't believe in God. And I talk to people who who don't believe in God. And they tell me, I I say, well, if you don't believe in God, what what is it that bothers you? What is it that you don't believe in about God? And they they start telling me about this God they don't believe in. And it, it usually turns out, I don't believe in that God either. Because they tell me about a God who who is angry, a God who doesn't care about people, a God who gives people cancer or gives people AIDS or or gives people autism. And I wonder where they get these ideas. Where do they get this idea that that God hates them? And my big concern, my big worry is that they get it from us. That that's the God that that we are magnifying. That's what we're magnifying about God. Maybe it's because that's what they've heard from too many so-called Christians. That's what they've been magnifying. A, a God who's out to get you. A God who has high standards that you can't reach. You can't live up to His standards, and so He's going to punish you. If our character was like Mary's, though, if we were truly magnifying the Lord, what would they see in us? What would they see about Him? I think like Mary sings in, in her song here, they would see God's holiness as we magnify the Lord. Verses 49-55 through 55 are, are Mary's song. And it kind of seems strange that here we have a Gospel. You know, we're reading the story of Jesus and all of a sudden in the middle of it we have a musical interlude. You know, we stop and take a break. And Mary sings a song. A little later on, Zechariah sings a song. But, you know, we have these two songs in the middle. And that seems strange to us. But to the original readers, it would have seemed very normal. If you look through your Bibles, you find these times when God did amazing things among His people and they sang about it. I mean, that's, that's the whole Psalms right there. You go all the way back to Exodus and God leads the people of Israel through the Red Sea. The water closes up on the Egyptian army and they all drown and they get to the other side. And what does Miriam, Moses' sister, what does Miriam do? She sings a song. I will sing unto the Lord, for He has triumphed marvelously. The horse and rider fell into the sea, she says. A little later on in the Bible, we come to the book of Judges and we encounter this judge named Deborah goes through this horrifying battle and we get to the end of the battle and Deborah sings a song. 
little later on in the Bible, we meet a, a young girl named Hannah who prays for a baby, and God gives her a baby, and Hannah responds by singing a song. Mary's song here really seems to be based on, on Hannah's song. It's almost like this young girl, Mary, and to remind you again, Mary may be, she may be 14 years old. She may be 13 years old at, at this time. Kind of let that get in your head for a little bit. But Mary seems to have based her song on Hannah's song. And, and you can just imagine Mary growing up as, with Hannah as a hero of hers. You know, Hannah would have been someone that, that she looked up to, someone that she learned about in, uh, in the synagogues and someone that she studied about. Hannah begins her song back in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah starts her song with the words, My heart exalts the Lord. Mary starts her song with the word, My soul magnifies the Lord. It seems very apparent from the song that Mary knew her Bible, that she knew her history. She knew the truth about the God who was with her. And so she's able to sing. She's able to lift Him up and magnify Him through her song, through her character. She says in verse 40, 49, she says, Holy is His name. Now to the ancients, to the Hebrews, your name was more than just what was written. Tag, hello, my name is. <laughs> your name was your character. Your name was who you were. Your name spoke to, to what you were like and, and, and what your reputation was. Names were very important. Some of the bad guys that we have in the Old Testament, we don't actually know their names. All we know is their nicknames. All we know is their reputation. You know, we encounter in Numbers, we encounter a guy named Balaam. Some of you remember the story of Balaam, his donkey talked to him. Balaam was a bad guy. Balaam was a prophet who cursed the people of Israel. Balaam's not his real name. Balaam means the wicked. And so that's the nickname that we've given him. His actual name is lost to history. Why? Because it wasn't worth remembering. It wasn't worth being remembered because it, to speak his name, to remember his name is to honor him, and Balaam was not to be honored. So his real name is lost. If the character was lacking, your name didn't deserve to be known. Your name didn't deserve to live on and, and be remembered. And so Mary sings of God and she says, holy is his name. Holy is his character. Holy is his nature. That's who he is. He has standards of holiness. Standards that are beyond us. Because you see, if his name is holy, then my name is not holy. <laughs> his name's holy, then your name is not holy. Holiness demands perfection. Holiness demands sinlessness. And I know that that's not me. But if my soul is magnifying the Lord, it will magnify His holiness. But it will also magnify more than just His holiness. If my soul magnifies the Lord, it will also magnify His mercy. I think this is where we distort the image of God more than anywhere else. We, we see people doing things that we don't like. We see them doing things that, that we don't understand. And we kind of forget that we have been the recipients of some amazing grace. And just because our sin is different, just because we understand our sin and and we don't understand theirs, we think that we're more holy than they are? That's just not true. We fail to extend mercy to those who need it so desperately. And so Mary sings in verse 50, and His mercy is for those who fear Him. 
from generation to generation. We hear the word fear, and immediately we get the wrong idea. We get the idea that we're supposed to be afraid of God. I blame our parents for that, because our parents taught us, if you don't do what I say, I will put the fear of God in you. Right? And that's not quite what this means. When we hear the word fear, we read the word fear in the Bible, we're talking about an awesome respect, a reverence for who God is. Now, does it have to do with being afraid? Well, only in the realization of what God could do for us if He wasn't merciful. Or what He could do to us if He wasn't merciful. What He has the right to do, but in His mercy, He offers forgiveness. The only real way we can magnify God's mercy is by showing it to other people. By extending His mercy to others. And the only way we can extend it, the only way we can truly extend it, is if we understand that we have received mercy. That we have been the recipients of God's mercy. Tim Keller is an amazing Christian writer and he writes a lot about mercy and grace and forgiveness. And Tim Keller writes this, he says, mercy is a command of God, yet it cannot simply be a response to a demand. It can't just be God demanding us, you be merciful. It must arise out of hearts made generous and gracious by an understanding and experience of God's mercy. When you realize that your sin separated you from God, when you realize that your sin separated you from His holiness, from His very nature, but that by His grace, by His mercy, you have found forgiveness, then you become willing to offer forgiveness. You become willing to offer mercy to others. It's only then that you can magnify His mercy and you can offer forgiveness. And I think it's then that we realize that mercy's not, mercy's not easy. And mercy is not cheap. Forgiveness is not cheap. It comes at a cost. And offering forgiveness to someone, forgiving someone is not weakness. Forgiving someone is, is not folding to them. It's not giving in to their demands. It is, in fact, it takes greater strength than you have to do on your own. You can't do it by yourself. And you see, that's when we magnify God's strength. She says in verse 51, He has shown strength with His arm. <laughs> he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. I want to take a moment and think about those words from this young girl's point of view. He has shown strength with his arm. God has just tasked this little girl to do the impossible. She's a virgin. She will remain a virgin. And she will have a son. Now, is that something she can do if she tries really hard? She really works at it? No, she can't do that. How is, how is that going to happen? It's going to happen through God's strength. Her relative, Elizabeth, Elizabeth is barren. Elizabeth is postmenopausal, And she is going to have a son. How are these things going to happen? Are they going to happen by their own strength? Are they going to happen by their force of will? Are they going to figure out a way to do these things? No, they can't. It's going to be through God's strength. Now, I want you to think about this. This is something you may not have thought about before. When she's telling this story to Luke, when Luke writes this down, 
it's likely 50 years later. Okay? You get the Gospels about 20 years after, after the time of Christ when they start being written. It's likely 50 years later that she is telling this story to Luke. That she's singing this song to him as Luke is recording his Gospel. She may be in her mid-60s by now. She is older. Okay. She is widowed. She has watched her son die. She has watched several of his friends die. She also watched her son be resurrected, but she has watched several of her son's friends die. She has been through so much. But she's still singing this song. She's still saying these words. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. Because she's never, she knows that it's, it's never been about her own strength. It's never been about her own ability. Do you remember back in verse 37? Back in verse 37, the angel Gabriel told her, nothing is impossible with God. More than just words though, it's, it's more than just a song. She lived this. And over and over again through those years, through her own weakness, God proved His strength just as He longs to do in your life also. There's something pretty special in the way that she says this. By the way, that's not actually God's arm, but I thought it looked pretty strong. That's mine. It's, not really. it's my picture. There's something kind of special in the way that Mary says this. And uh, I promised Nancy Carrion that, that she would be the one person who really got this. So I know, I know some of us struggle with grammar, right? We're, we're not grammarians. Nancy, I love having Nancy around because she always corrects my grammar even when I don't think it needs to be corrected. She fixes it. Um, there's something special that happens in the grammar of this part of the song. We don't have this in English, but in the Greek they have a tense that's called aorist tense. Some people call it the God tense. But it's a special tense for verbs in Greek. Aorist tense means it was true back then, and so it's always going to be true. If it was true back then, it's always going to be true. So aorist tense truly reflects the nature of God, that He is unchanging, that He is constant, uh, that, that He never, never changes. So, so it means that if God was strong in the past, and we saw His strength through creation, we saw His strength through the flood, we saw His strength through getting His people out of Egypt, we saw His strength through David, uh, killing Goliath through all the battles over and over again, God proved His strength. So if God was strong then, then God will be strong now. He will continue to be strong. That's God's nature. That's, that's just the way God is. He doesn't change. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If He was holy then, He's holy now. If He was merciful then, then He's merciful now. That's part of His strength. And I think that's something we really need to understand. Because every now and then we think about God's mercy, and every now and then we think, maybe I've crossed a line. Maybe I finally blew it. Maybe I sinned one too many times. I flew off the handle one too many times, and God is going to lay the whammy on me. He's saying, I've had enough. But if He was merciful then, He's merciful now. And if we question our forgiveness today, then we haven't understood our forgiveness in the past. 
Sometimes we need to hear that for ourselves. Sometimes we need to hear that for other people. Because sometimes people hurt us. And we think, you finally blew it. You finally blew it. And we think that we have permission to stop forgiving. We have permission to stop showing mercy. We have permission to to stop showing grace because you are such a screw-up. And you've really blown it. But if God's strength was seen in His mercy then, then it will be seen in His mercy now. It will be seen in His mercy tomorrow. It will be seen in His mercy forever. Mary sang, My soul magnifies the Lord. My whole being, the essence of who I am, draws the truth of who He is into such sharp focus that everyone around me can see God. See Him clearly. They see the detail that otherwise they might have missed. What would it take for us to say, my soul magnifies the Lord? What would it do for the people around us? What would they see through us, in us? What would they see of God if we truly magnify Him? Here's the beautiful thing that we see in the rest of Mary's song. Mary's song tells us that when you know who God is, you can be certain of what He's capable of doing. When you truly know who God is, you can be certain of what He's capable of doing in your life, in in, in the life of your community, in the life of your friends. When you know who God is, you can be certain of what He's capable of doing. The song wraps up from from verse, thir- from verse 51 on, the entire rest of the song is in that aorist tense. It's in that tense that says, if it was true then, it's true now, and it'll be true forever. Mary goes on in verse 52. She says, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. When you know who God is, you can be certain of what He's capable of doing in your life. Verse 52, she says He's capable of raising you up as low as you feel sometimes, as broken as you feel sometimes, as difficult as life can be, He raises you up. She says in verse 53, He has filled the hungry with good things. I like that she stresses good things, especially this time of year, that He has filled the hungry with good things. But you know, about 30 years later, her son will sit on a hillside and teach, and he will say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a right relationship with God, for they will be And then in verse 54, verse 54, she says, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. That's the one that just amazes me. When I read that, He has helped His servant Israel. You know, I've never had a butler, okay? I I probably am not going to have a butler in my lifetime. But if, if movies and TV have taught me anything, it's that, you don't get up, or if you have a butler, you don't get up early and make breakfast for your butler, right? You don't get up early and lay out your butler's clothes for him. You don't get up early and, and put your butler's socks on him and, and shine his shoes up and make sure your butler looks nice. You don't do that, right? 
Your butler does all of those things for you. If you have a servant, their job is to help you. What does she say about God? He has helped His servant. Why? Because of His mercy. Because of that mighty arm that that extends His strength and that He has helped His servant. I, I don't know of anyone else who has servants who helps servants other than God. That's His mercy though. That's His grace. And that's His promise to you through His strength that He will help 